The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. You've got the H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on those dirt trails and kick up some mud. Or the third-row seating gets your whole family in to experience the thrill together. The dual wireless charging pads make sure that no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead cell phone. Think about those adventurous activities you can do, like me taking a ski trip up with the family, maybe going on a camping expedition, anything and everything. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Happy Monday to you. It's Monday, February 6th, and as promised... You're getting a little bonus in the podcast feed and on YouTube. Hello, if you're watching on YouTube, it's just, listen, it's just me. Well, not just me. Nada is here as always. This is going to be a mailbag special. Don't think I'm going to go too long. Although as we start this, I don't know how long this podcast is going to be, but my intention is to have this well under an hour, maybe around 35, 40 minutes. We'll see how this goes. Listen, our listeners are incredible. Uh, I want to thank you right off the top here because you've helped grow the podcast in a major way. And we would do more of these mailbags, but, you know, between my schedule and Paris's schedule, like they're hard to get in the middle of the season, but GP is traveling. I did have a little bit of time to kill here on a on a Sunday night as I await in real time if Northwestern's going to pull off this road win against Wisconsin. And we have a lot. We've had a lot of correspondence, like a lot of you have emailed into the show. If you are unfamiliar, reminder, email us anytime. Shouts to CBS at gmail.com. We also are encouraging if you want to get on the podcast in an audio format or video 15 to 20 seconds. Keep it right about there. Anything more than 30 is almost certainly never going to make the show include your first name and the town you're sitting here from. Uh, same when you're writing, we want to know uh, who you are and, uh, and where you're living these days. So uh, continue to do that. Thank you. And evergreen stuff is always helpful because we'll do more of these in the off season and off the wall stuff is, is, is encouraged as well. These are all hoops topics, but if you want to ask, you know, music stuff, really anything, anything that springs to mind. We do get random emails and they are funny. Uh, they are, they give me a chuckle to read through sometimes some stuff that's just never going to make the show. I mean, we've gotten everything from why Samsung appliances are linked to the PAC 12 network to link the appreciation letters. And we very much, uh, enjoy those. I've, I've, we've also had correspondence from BYU grads that just want to let us know they are extremely in favor of premarital sex. They're one of us. So I appreciate all that stuff coming through there. And our email inventory is healthy. We're going to get to, uh, I don't know, 15 or so questions here, maybe a little bit more. There's still dozens waiting and, uh, and we'll get to more of them down the way. I want to give a shout out to our Spotify crew, the people that listen on Spotify, that, that group, you have grown exponentially in the past year. So thank you. You have continued to rate the podcast. Well, appreciate that. And if you, we also get notes occasionally where people are like, Hey, I just found the pod a year ago, or I just found the pod a few months ago. Just a reminder. If you've got people in your general radius, your social radius that you think would enjoy this podcast or love college hoops, and they might only like enjoy it after football season ends, please spread the word. Um, Cause that's how you help the show grow. And I, I really appreciate our audience. It's just me. So I don't have Paris here kind of cutting me off on all that kind of stuff, but I, I genuinely, I genuinely do. Um, so thank you. Thank you very much. And if you do, if you do want a little bit more of me, I will uh, let you know that I'm on, uh, I do a side pod uh, on the back half of the season uh, on college sports. Now you can search that on Apple podcasts. I do that Mondays and Thursdays 
with another fella, Stephen Hartzell, and he's a good time. And it's very similar to this, but it is different. And we do talk tunes pretty much every episode as well. So if you want even more of me, I don't know why you would. But if you do, I know there is a certain faction of our audience that actually listens to both of those. And I appreciate that uh, all the same. I also want to give a shout to a, a fella named James. He sent this precious email in the past 24 hours. Again, we get a random assortment of stuff. He said, I want to schedule my kids for baseball lessons. Reach me back on this email. James, I don't know what's going on, but we can't help you out there. Let's get to the mail bag. Nada, you're going to handle the questions on this episode, and I'll do my best to handle the answers. And uh, stuff we've got here is relatively recent and relevant. And there's, there's actually a few that still apply that have been sitting in the inbox for a, for a month or two. So how are we kicking this off? We're going to start this off with our, our, our good listener, Jacob, because I know Jacob interacts with us on Twitter and email and everything else. We're going to start with this. And he asks, I've been listening for a few years now, and this just dawned on me. Is it A, camel fighting dodo birds and leaky black, or camel fighting, comma, and dodo birds, comma, and leaky black? Essentially, do the dodo birds fight camels, or are they non-regular, non-comp, non-camel fighting dodo birds? What a question. You know, I had someone come up to me at the Purdue game, and this is not uncommon. I've had, I've, we have had this either in the email box, on the Twitter mentions, or in person multiple times, the way that Parrish's cadence was in opening the show. I never noticed it, but um, people thought I was black Matt Norlander because he would say, where we sometimes discuss camel fighting, dodo birds, and leaky black. Matt Norlander's here with me. And so I'm like, what? What? Nada, by the way, are you familiar with the fact that until we became the first podcast first sports podcast to go to video to go to youtube that it was a regular this isn't nearly as prominent now i think we mentioned this to you because no, no we, we, we've talked about this in new orleans i think we've talked about this in new orleans like everybody right. thought that parish was black i remember this story yeah. like yeah, we talked that, about it at the final four and it still blows my mind because it's I one know. of those things like if you know you know you, you can figure it out pretty like quickly and more importantly google is free so I know that was what blew my mind. And like you figure if you listen to the pod, you read the stuff on the site and his mug has been alongside his columns and everything he files since since he got to the site. So that was always <laughs> just always gave me a chuckle. But it is camel fighting, comma, dodo birds, comma, Oxford, comma here and leaky black. So, no, these are not camel fighting dodo birds. They, they, I don't even I mean, have did dodo birds ever cross paths with a camel i can't i don't I, I don't know that and yes we had people reaching out in abundance giving us uh, the heads up that they're actually trying to bring back the dodo scientists are trying to make this happen the podcast will take credit for it if it winds up happening it'd be fascinating if that uh, wound up being the case but we appreciate we appreciate the question jacob what's next All right, we have our good friend Joseph, and let me go look at this question. I got to ruffle through the mailbag a little bit. I wish I had a sounder for for the ruffling through the mailbag because this is a robust <laughs> mailbag at this point. Joseph asks, Matt, you've mentioned something about coaches liking slash wanting the best to officiate their games. Coaches surely don't have a say in who officiates, right? Who picks officials for the game? Is it the league or is it someone else? Good question. So this was, I recently tweeted about this with John Higgins' schedule. I've actually got a side note. Um, fellow named Rick writes, for over a decade, I never allowed travel like John Higginson's week in the Big Ten. But I was the only ex-coach who was VP of men's hoop and also in charge of officiating. I left the league in September after more than a dozen years. So I assume it's now back to the old boy network. Once ex-refs get in charge, they will protect and help their old friends. That's Rick Boyajis, the former head of officiating, who is a podcast listener. Rick, thanks for the note if you're listening to this episode as well. Uh, Terry Weimer is now in charge of Big Ten officiating. That was, you know, that's like inside, inside, inside baseball kind of stuff. But yes, there was uh, some changes at the Big Ten level last offseason, and that was an elongated process there. And Boyajis, uh, he left, and so he's no longer there. And Higgins' schedule was the subject of a, of a lot of, I don't know if controversy. It was just a, the, the subject of a lot of discussion there. And I did hear from a few officials who happened to agree with my take that you just should not be working seven games in eight days or eight days, eight games in nine or 10 and 12. It's, it's just unhealthy to travel that much. Are they physically capable of doing it? Yeah. 
But are they absolutely at their sharpest? I would argue no. And I had a few officials, and these are guys who have worked Final Fours, reach out to me and privately say that they agree with that. But they're gonna if the money's there, they're gonna chase it, and they need someone to put them in check. Who picks the officials? It is the coordinators for each of these leagues, and a lot of these leagues are a part of consortiums. So although the officials are independent contractors, what you will have, and I did answer this in a recent court report, you might have the Big Ten being a consortium with uh, the Big East and a few other mid-major leagues, and so these guys can basically ping pong and the and the the uh, coordinators in each league, they can check in with each other and make sure they're not working one game for a guy and he's working on the same day. And they try to do their best. It's not the worst thing in the world. I just think it would be better optimized if you had a certain limit and said, listen, you can work four games over the course of seven days or something like that. Maybe that's not the perfect number. But to answer your question, coaches have zero say, nor should they have any say. And then once we get to the tournament, then the NCAA and its director of officiating, which is now Chris Rastatter, it was J.D. Collins. He he recently retired. Uh, Rastatter just took over. He's a formal official himself. He was working games, you know, a year ago. He's now in charge of it. He is the one that grades out, ultimately determines who's working the tournament, and then he will grade out the first weekend. And then the guys that do the best, they get the second weekend. Then the guys who do the best, you get 10 officials in that rotation for the Final Four and the National Championship game. So this is a, a big topic. It might be something we explore further in the offseason, but I appreciate the question. What do we got next? We have Jackson from Ravenwood who had a really, really good question I thought was really cool. He said, one thing that's been bothering me is how Imani Bates has been all but written off as an NBA prospect. Bates, at the time of this email, is still only 18 years old, and I can imagine how many McDonald's All-American level players were still dominating their high school hoops careers at 19. Maybe that doesn't ultimately mean anything. But I think he's playing at a level where, where considering his age is absolutely incredible and he shouldn't be written off as a lottery hopeful bust. Heck, Bayfall, current high school basketball five-star, is actually older than Amani, and his hype seems through the roof. I kind of I see his point, though. I, I kind of actually see his point. There's a point to that. Uh, Bates just turned 19 in the past week. So, yeah, that's an email we got earlier in January. Um at this point, I think he's played his way back into being drafted. Where, we'll see. And I haven't knocked on any doors with evaluators on that. I would be surprised right now. Nada, would you? I'd be surprised if he went top 20. Wouldn't you, Nada? I would be surprised if he went top 20. I would not be surprised if he went 20 to 35, though. I agree. I think the 20s are in play. He's done really well. Now, Eastern Michigan's irrelevant. Uh, I don't think the first round's out of the equation. And barring, barring like something that would cause us to prompt us to talk about it on the podcast before the end of the season. Like I think he's getting drafted. So that, that that's it before it was a question, but he's young enough. Now he will be drafted. It's just a matter of what team and what spot and who wants him. And he, you know, and he's thriving at the mid major level. So that will also be taken into consider consideration. All things considered, it's hard to see how he won't be a top five, most intriguing prospect. Once we get there, similar to how Pat Baldwin Jr. I did a feature on him last off season. He went to Milwaukee. Now he was a non-factor because he got injured, uh, but he still wound up going first round uh, to golden state and his camp was getting told he'd have a real chance. And there were a lot of people at the NBA level that thought it was all smoke. There was no chance. Well, that wound up being true. If you made me pick right now, right now, not knowing what the next five weeks or so are going to bring of, of Bates's college career, I would say he's going to go in the first round, but we'll remain to, it will remain to be seen. I have no doubt that there are, will be teams in the twenties that just won't grade him on a first round grade. They might even not have him on a top 45 grade, but all it takes is one. And I think there will be one. And I think he'll get picked somewhere in the twenties. What do we got next? All right, we have Dave from New Hampshire next, and he writes, I noticed some teams playing games that aren't technically on their home courts, uh, Gonzaga comes to mind, but might as well be. Do these count as neutral court games in the net or road games for the visiting team? Good question. It is how the NCAA designates it. So in particular with the Gonzaga-Kentucky game, I'm almost positive. So let me look up this net situation with the Zags right now. The NCAA, when Gonzaga lost to Loyola Marymount, the NCAA noted in its record book that Gonzaga was riding a 76-game streak, but that was 75 at the Kennel. The 76th game was Spokane Arena. And so because of that, that might be a home L for the Zags at this point. Let me cross-reference this here. Right now, I'm seeing a 4-0 neutral this season for Gonzaga. I'm going to check this Ken Palm schedule. And right now, Gonzaga this season, 
Yeah. That's a home loss right now for Gonzaga. Now, there are interesting distinctions with this. Ultimately, I just don't think, because we're usually talking about one game in a season, I, I don't think, Dave, that that really matters all that much when it gets down to the resume. But it's a valid question because there are these weird things to decipher with all that stuff. But for the NCAA's purposes in the selection committee, that Gonzaga win over Kentucky will be a home win. And for Kentucky, that will register as a road loss. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right. I think what we're going to do next, we're going to go to our video questions because we have, okay. I want to spark more of this inspiration right now because I got no, I'd by the way, I have to have more of these. All right, let's uh, go. Uh, so we'll start here. Hey, y'all. This is Doug in Winston Salem, North Carolina. With there being no clear contender to win the championship this year, which team do you think is most likely to win it that's never won it before? Which team do you think is most likely to make it to the final four that's never made it before? This is a good question. This is why I got to do the solo with no GP though. Cause he'd be like, I don't have the list. I didn't, I don't have it in front of me. Purdue is my answer. That's never won it before. Purdue's 32 Helms championship doesn't count. We're going 39 when they started the tournament to now. So Purdue would be my answer. Most likely team to never make the final four. That's Bama. I can just tell you that off the top of my dome here, because on the Sunday episode, I told you I would put Bama number two in my hierarchy for national championship right now. If that's the case, I've got Purdue one. I got to have Bama two. So that's actually, that was a little bit of a freebie there. Bama would be my overwhelmingly most likely candidate in that spot. But it's certainly going to be interesting to see how the tournament unfolds. Not I do think there is a healthy chance, not just of a first time champion, never won an NCAA tournament before. We got a healthy chance of that. I think there's just as healthy of a chance that we have at least one team get down to Houston that's never made it to a national semifinal over the past 80 plus years. So I'm excited. And I think, you know, having those new kind of storylines always makes for fun. And it gives such it gives these fan bases such excitement to have those kind of runs because there are there have been reliables somewhat over this over the years, obviously. But if you can get a fan base down there that just they they get there and they're like, are we going to? experience this ever again because you never have before i think that really adds to the flavor of final four and it's one of the big reasons why i love college hoops i'm just imagining purdue fans getting down to houston now and i don't know why the thought of that just tickles me i don't but it does right now i I don't know just the shock and awe and then you have then zach edy in a final four all that it tickles me it makes me it it makes me excited for the tournament that is going to be here in five weeks and Mine in your life ceases to exist as we know it, basically. What do we let's got get down to Brett. Let's get to Brett. 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 Now he's got a little interesting situation. His wife and and him are huge listeners. They he says we often save episodes for long trips to listen together. She's the she's a college basketball fanatic, a terp who helped me, a Gator, discover my own love for the game. So having only been a fan for 10 years, it has seemed to me that in the last five years or so, we have started to see more parity in terms of teams at the very top and say the top 40. I feel like historically, from what I've heard on the show, in the past, there have been very dominant teams for long periods of time, whereas more now teams are able to break into the top 40. Do you feel like that's accurate? And if so, what has influenced this? And then he ends it really, really well. The world is a vampire. I don't have that drop on my board, and I think I got it. Although, how many times am I going to give you a little bit of Billy Corgan? Um, but I got to get that on there. So thank you. Thank you for the, uh, Brett. Thank you for the reminder there. Um, good question. And always encourage 
marital listening at the same time. Um, that's wonderful. That that is really really cool. So I'm happy to hear that. I think we might have another uh, joint email from a couple coming in the bag here. If we don't, I think it's uh, it's waiting in the wings in the, in the inbox. Parody. How about this? Okay, so Parody has it's always existed. I think in college hoops, but our perception of what that word means and how it impacts the sport, I think that has changed. Because I think of of all the major American team sports out there, college basketball is certainly the most susceptible to things just aren't, aren't what they used to be, man. They're just not like they were. But players are more skilled than ever. They're quicker. They're bigger. They're stronger. They're faster. But the product is viewed as inferior as to how it used to be. And part of that being because college hoops is just younger. We used to just always had these, these teams with seniors on them. It's also played differently. I mean, it's cultural impact because of that, and it's cultural impact isn't as big now as it was in 1996 or 1985. I'm not convinced the actual play is irrefutably worse than it was 35 years ago. Real quick, Nada, agree or disagree on that? I, Because uh, I think a lot of, not a lot, but some people think like you pick up a college hoops game, you know, in 1985 and just the game and the way it was played for 40 minutes was just better than in 2023. I agree, don't think agree or can't, can't decide. I don't think it was better. I think it's better now. I think you're getting a lot better mid-major games. Maybe at the major level, it was better 30 years ago because you only could go to so so many places to get that TV exposure. But for now, you've got your mid-majors. I mean, Amani Bates is playing at Eastern Michigan. Like, we've got Jelly Walker doing what he's doing. You have Florida Atlantic doing what they're doing. Charleston, up and down the league, you have so many more of these schools that can compete now because the talent level is so great and that you can play so many different places that I think it's better now in terms of schools one to probably what, 120? Whereas in the 80s, maybe you got, I don't know, 30 teams, 40 teams tops that you could actually say were good. I think that's right. I think a lot of people that say that are now in their 50s, 60s, or 70s. And whether they're sports writers, so their voices are more amplified or they're just big sports fans and the games were bigger deals because there were just fewer available. I think that's also part of it. And team dominance today isn't what it once was. That's also, that's undeniable. Uh, so the depression and dominance at the top, that has a downstream effect. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, so there are factors that influence it and Brett and listeners, they're probably the ones you likely suspect rosters aren't as long lasting as they once were. The talent is more spread out. There are young teams and they are more unfamiliar with each other uh, on a year-to-year basis because of transferring. And so it increases the frequency of upsets and there's just less opportunity for a sport-wide dominance. But there were still... Here's the thing I come back to. There were still surprise teams making the Elite Eight, knocking off top five opponents, you know, taking losses to unranked teams in 1973 and 1983 and 1993. So the game has changed, but I, I do push back on the notion that college basketball, the product itself, when you watch a game, no, it, it, it is not the greatest sport in the world. I love it more than any other sport. It's not the NBA. I'm not saying it is, but I actually think it may, like if you actually sat down, pull up a game on YouTube from 1983 and watch it, just watch it. Okay, watch it at like 10 a.m. next Saturday and then watch whatever comes on the TV at noon. And you tell me that they were absolutely playing a better game in 83 than they are now. That's all I'm saying. Next question. All right. We got to go to the Midwest. Eric, the Buckeye fan, comes in with a decent sized question. He says playing in the Big Ten reduces one of the country's most attractive offenses, Ohio State. GP will agree into a nearly unwatchable debacle. This halftime score is not an aberration in the Big Ten. It happens a lot in the conference. It has been my theory for a while now that the plotting, overly physical, and often unwatchable Big Ten games hurt the conference overall when the tournament begins because of freedom of movement and faster play are not valued in league play. And on a related note, I believe it hurts recruiting, Of all the major conferences, the Big Ten least resembles the style of play of the NBA. I recall on a preseason podcast, you noted the disparity in recruiting between the Big Big Ten and the SEC. 
What can be done to fix this often unwatchable league? Does recruiting need to improve? A refereeing overhaul? Are Big Ten coaches aware of any of this? P.S. Your ability to touch on the sobering issues of our day with such grace and thoughtfulness while also bringing levity and insight to college basketball is a gift. Keep up the great work. I appreciate Who wrote that? That is Eric the Buckeye fan. Eric the Buckeye fan. Thank you, Eric. Appreciate that. And yeah, I also pride the podcast on the fact that we can give you a three or four in a given week and you're going to have the same stuff you can kind of rely on episode to episode. But like the style of this episode is not the style that you got with me and Boone and certainly not with me and GP. So like to throw you the occasional change up there and hopefully you appreciate that. Uh, on this note, I mean, Northwestern won at Wisconsin on Sunday night, 54-52. Wisconsin's down, but Northwestern needed that win to help, you know, just keep its tournament afloats, uh, hopes afloat and steady. I get this. I don't know if I totally buy it. Tournament play is slower. There are fewer possessions. That should, in theory, help some Big Ten teams. But the NCAA tournament is, it's part arbitrator, and it is just a random results generator in many, many ways. I mean, there are so many. Here's what I come back to. I get it. Big Ten hasn't won a championship since Michigan State 2000, but once you get to that time of the season, and I have talked to coaches about this just here and there over the years, it's it's just different from the rest of the season. The 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 temperature of the world that these coaches and players are living in is different than right now. In the first week of February, there's way more attention on you. The games feel bigger. They are bigger. They're playing in different. You're in pro arenas. You're not you're not playing on college campuses. Your your travel schedule is different. Your sleep schedule is different. You watch your you know, you got the thrill and just the adrenaline rush of seeing your team pop up on Selection Sunday, no matter if you know you're going to be on the one line or you're sweating it out and don't know if you're going to the NIT or the tournament there. And then you got a, the coaching aspect of prepping for an opponent that you don't know you're going to have. And then if you win your first game, the turnaround on a two-day with a team you don't know or most likely don't know, that's a major factor. The pregame, postgame press conferences, there are just so many things about the tournament that I think everyday fans just don't get to see that much that can have an impact on some of these teams. And it's not just the Big Ten. So I can't say that it's because of the Big Ten and the style of play that that's the reason why. Sure, if the talent was better on balance, they'd have a little bit better of a winning record. But you've had teams make the Final Four. You had Wisconsin knock off an undefeated Kentucky team. It just hasn't come up your way yet. Maybe this is the year. But if it's not, it's not some huge, wide-sweeping indictment on the Big Ten. I really push back and shy away from these tournament records and what they say to reflect the strength of a conference. I try not to because... The sample size versus the literal rest of the season, it's just, you know, it's only a fraction there. If you want to put more weight and say, listen, it's when it matters most. Winner go home. And we are going to put that on you. I won't fight back on that either. But I think from a big picture perspective, there are more reasons than just who the Big Ten is recruiting as to why it hasn't had a little more success in the big bracket. What do we got next? All right, Garrett's got a really good question, which in light of the expansion of the BCS playoffs is a really, really good idea. Garrett writes, I created an idea where the NCAA tournament is held on campus for the round of 64 and round of 32, then going back to NBA arenas for the second weekend and on. Just love the idea of Allen Fieldhouse or Cameron Indoor hosting NBA uh, NCAA tournament games. Just wanted to hear your thoughts on this. Okay, I love it, but it's not feasible from a logistical standpoint. It once was, things have changed. There's criteria for these places from hotels to the cities they're in. Having enough spots like for a first weekend to give eight teams a spot to to have practice schedules to get to. Uh, in addition to the building themselves, they have to clear a lot of codes. Uh, arena capacity, you got to have a minimum. Like Hinkle did it during the, the COVID 21, 20, 2021 tournament. And I cherish that because Hinkle's never going to host a tournament again. Uh, barring, you know, hold on. Worst pandemic of our lifetime. Hopefully it's behind us there. Uh, so that was a real joy. But, and I'd love for the NCAA to say, you know what? Remember back in 21, Hinkle did it. But like Hinkle doesn't have the locker room capacity. That's another thing. So there's a lot of factors. I would love nothing more than for the first weekend of the NCAA tournament to exclusively nationwide be held on college campuses. It's just not going to happen. They happen in cities. They happen in pro-type arenas more often than not because, more, you know, that's just 
The setups are more practical for streamlining the event. And this is a major, major logistical undertaking. Yeah, I love it if we brought up Thursday, 12.15 and we're opening at Cameron Indoor. And then the 12.25 tip is at the Palestra. And then the 1.15 tip is at Fog Allen. And then your 2.25 tip is at Gallagher Iba. That would be incredible. But it's just not going to happen. Uh, we occasionally do get these games around these college campuses, um, or at least nearby, and we just take what we can get. I'm just glad they've kicked it out of football stadiums until we get to the Final Four. Take the wins where we can get them. What do we got next? What we have next is Sam from Boise, and he's got he's got he's got a little um, high hopes here. He's he writes, "I was thinking about Gonzaga and how they've been able to rise above their mid mid major conference and become a perennial national power. What mid to low major programs do you see having the potential to do similar?" As a Grand Canyon student, I have to make the Homer case. As a WAC school, there isn't a super dominant program that we have to get over, and in only a few years, we have become one of the three to five best programs in the conference. We're in Phoenix, which will help with ratings and recruiting, and we don't have a football team, which could potentially help retain Bryce Drew and any future coaches because they get priority in funding and attention. We are also a big school with one of the best environments in the country. Big hopes. Big hopes. I don't know if we've done something like this on a, on a mailbag before. I have gotten this question. I get it annually, so I wanted to include this one. Uh, Gonzaga's an outlier. There are no other schools. It's not going to happen. One of one. One of one in college athletics. Wichita State flirted with being Gonzaga light. How's that going these days? Uh, there can be programs that can uplift their profile. Wichita State did that. We've seen it with Belmont and Murray State making the jump to the Missouri Valley. Butler, you know, went to the Big East. Had a dude named Brad coaching it in order to help make that happen. Creighton has obviously done similar and it's done well. But that those those programs still aren't Gonzaga. Like again, one of one. And we've even seen with Gonzaga because of its success, the the quasi pickle it even finds itself in with league association right now. Um, you know, Dennis Dodd reported last week that the Big 12 was having meetings just to discuss Gonzaga as a potential member. And I know that's kind of got Gonzaga's fans' attention right now. Um, you know, I, my understanding, my impression is that Brett Yormark, the commissioner of the Big 12, is certainly very interested in adding Gonzaga. And I think the athletic directors need to be convinced. And my opinion is that they would not just if they if they expand again like they aren't going to 13 they would go to 14 minimally i think and i believe they would add at least one more basketball first type of school west of the mississippi if they did that someone did lob me a name but i'm going to keep that to myself and this was you know some months ago we'll see if that winds up actually being possible i don't know if gonzaga will go to the big 12 or not I know Gonzaga wants to upgrade its spot overall. I think it should go to the Pac-12. I think the Pac-12 has to figure out some things and soon on that front because it's going to add San Diego State. What's the other team? You know, a lot of buzz around SMU. Could you add Gonzaga as a 13th member for basketball only because there's no football? It certainly is intriguing, but the powers that be at Gonzaga are trying to figure out what they can do. Um, and this is going to be something that I think really gets legs this year in 2023 because of the rights deals that are set to, to come up here and what, you know, conferences need to figure out. Big East dream, dream is probably not dead, but I still have, you know, that's still a tough sell for, for presidents in that league. And, and, and are they going to take all the schools? So I don't know. That wasn't directly your question, but, um, you know, I do have a few Gonzaga things kicking around in the old noggin there, but no other school is going to repeat this model. They're one of one and they will never be repeated again. What do we got next? Andrew from Somerset, New Jersey, because you know we had to get the Rutgers folks in here. Mm -hmm. He brings up season ticket holder and alumni of Rutgers grew up one mile from campus and never left. You failed to mention Rutgers' biggest win this year. It wasn't against Purdue. It was against UMass Lowell. Okay. Our bad will never happen again. We love our audience. Next. <laughs> All right. Mike from Boston. He asks, which mid-majors are best built to do damage in the field of 68 this year? Who are the mid-major players to watch as we head to February and March? There's still a lot of candidates out there. And I could give you 20, but I don't want to do that. Um Okay, let me give you five. Uh, yeah, I'll give me about five. Five teams not named FAU or Charleston. Charleston now, again, 
might need that auto bid at this point. Uh, UAB? What if CUSA was a two-bid league? Jelly Walker, keep an eye on them. Southern Miss has done really well for itself. Kent State or Akron? I'm going to give you more than five because either one that comes out of the MAC, there. Kent State's got sincere carry, and he's a guard capable, I think, of and having the composure to do damage in March. Eastern Washington has four, won 14 in a row out of the big sky. It's got the longest win streak in the country now. Trivia time, your friends on that one. Uh, keep an eye for EWU. It's actually, you know, showed itself well in the tournament over the past seven, eight years. And Furman almost got there a season ago, is doing well in the SOCON and has some real players there. Those are teams, names to know. I don't know if Chattanooga will get at, get to the tournament out of SOCON, but Jake Stevens is, I think he's second in PER in the country to Zach Eady. He has been a monster, and he was expected to be. He transferred to Chattanooga, followed his coach, Dan Earl, from VMI. Tucker DeVries at Drake is good. Tucker DeVries would be a power conference player if his dad was not coaching at Drake. So if they get in out of the Missouri Valley, keep an eye on them. Max Asimus is back to his old ways. Oral Roberts is certainly tracking to dance again out of the summit, and that team is really clicking. Paul Mills' group. Asimus is a ball of fun. Plenty of our listeners are all too familiar with him after the damage he did a couple of years ago. Darius McGee is another one who's just been around for a while. If Liberty breaks through, out of the A-Sun, expect uh, expect some real damage. And then Aaron Estrada has been playing well as of late for Hofstra. If Charleston doesn't get there out of the CAA, if Hofstra does, shouts to the Flying Dutchman, uh, Aaron Estrada is, is certainly a mid-major name to know. Next! All right. We got my man Jack asking a very, very sad question because as we talked about Bayheim giving, again, on Sunday, that Bayheim may need to go, he asks... Florida State is trending towards their worst season in 20 years. In no way do I want Hamilton to leave FSU or college basketball on this kind of note. Hamilton has been a great coach with a storied career, and as a fan of the sport, I was hoping he might get another shot at the limelight via attorney run in March. But at the end of the day, he's a 74-year-old coach struggling mightily with while the college basketball landscape around him changes. Mm-hmm. Might we see Leonard Hamilton join K Roy Wright in the near future. Uh, plenty of speculation. If this is going to be Leonard Hamilton's last season, uh, I would not like to see him go out with such a whimper of a campaign, but yeah, I think, uh, I think there's a lot of intrigue over whether or not that is going to be the case. So we will, we will see. Um, there's enough to think he could come back and they could have a rebound season. I'd like to see that. I'll lean narrowly. He comes back, but I think there are some that think this might be it next. All right. We have Garen from Columbus asking, what's your take on the fifth year COVID players for record keeping purposes? The Armando Baycott ACC rep rebound talk made me think of this. He is on Mm -hmm. track to become the all time rebound leader. If he stays next year and averages about the same rebounds. Should they count all five years? Should it be a player's first four years, best four years, et cetera? They got to count. I understand the question because these guys are getting bonus years. And right now, I mean, we're looking at um, uh, Antoine Davis at Detroit Mercy. I mean, he's going to... He's going to really uh, fly close to the sun with Pete Maravich's all-time scoring record, but he's he's doing it because he has the bonus year because of COVID. They got to count. It just is what it is. Like it's really on some level, it's no different than if you play up to the threshold of uh, of the red shirt medical red shirt year and you get a bonus X number of games. It's not it's not apples to apples. It's not a total analog there. But they're in college. They opted to stay. That that's that's the fruits of staying behind. So they're gonna count. But I, I get it. Like you know, it's the the COVID year messed up all sorts of stuff, man. Like there were streaks that like were are were intact, and are they really? Because we didn't have a tournament that year, and all this kind of stuff. So I actually that's a good question. Um, but and there's not gonna be any asterisk asterisk or anything like that. But it is you know some players are gonna benefit. But and they deserve it after having you know having gone to college during COVID and really having lost a tournament opportunity in the next season where multiple games are lost. That's just how it needs to be. All right. We are going to go back to the video and one of our favorite commenters on the YouTube side, Jonathan Phipps, he decided he wanted to chime in via video and here he goes. Hey GP. Hey Norlander. Uh, I'm just curious what team that will likely get a seed 12 or lower could you see having the most chance of making 
uh, Oral Roberts slash St. Peter's type of run in the NCAA tournament? Good question. 12 or lower. Let me bring up what we got here. You're looking at either a power conference team that's getting in at the last minute. Let's call it two wins. Um, Or you're just talking Cinderella stuff, and I mentioned a few of those before. If it's on the 12 line, how about this? That's hard to project right now. Uh, Like if Missouri's on the 12 line. Could be a top 10 offense in the country. They could certainly do it. If Virginia Tech is another one, we'll see. Like Virginia Tech's got to, it's got to win some games upcoming. Like it, it's got landmines, got to add to the resume. It's not in yet. But Mike Young's uh, coaches detest preparing to play Virginia Tech because of the stuff he runs. So teams like that, yeah. And then I'd probably circle back to a lot of the mids I mentioned before. If you want another one, that's kind of like if I can give you a 14 or like, Oh, is Iona going to get there? Like Iona might get there out of the Mac. They're kind of an obvious pick, but they could do it. And I'll give you one more that could like be on the 14 line, but is capable because it's got to win at Oregon this season. And its coach has, has made a couple of tournament runs, won a game. Russell Turner, UC Irvine out of the Big West. Don't think you want the Anteaters on the 14 line if you're a three seed. That's what I'd go with there. Good question. What do we got next? We got Patrick the Pitt fan, and he's got a he's got a decent question. He asks, why do good coaches fail in college basketball? Particularly some of the reasons that normal fans like us don't have the line of sight to. I'm a Pitt fan, so from experience, I'm guessing there's a lot under the radar stuff that torpedoes coaches like the fuster cluck of Dixon to Stallings <laughs> to Cable Path. Did I just hear a fuster cluck? Love you it. did. Okay. Well done on the reading, Nada. Um, if you're not already following my man, Nada, by the way, at Nada the Scribe on Twitter, that's Nada with a T, and just prepare for a ton of Charlotte Hornets stuff. So I, I you've been forewarned. Um, we're, we're, we're transitioning away from that, sir. We're trying to, again, okay. I'm going to focus on the job that pays me. We'll believe it when I see it. Um, I think I saw a minimum of three Plumlee tweets today, so we'll believe it when I see it. Uh, let's see here. There's so, what, so why do good coaches fail? Uh, listen, there are so many factors. Uh, there can be bad fits, motivation for the job, the time of the coach's life, the staffs they hire is is certainly that's something like that gets very little, and that doesn't need a lot of discussion or run or writing about it or tweets about it. But like when you get to mid March to mid April, like coaches love just gossiping about who's going to this guy's staff and who's going to this guy's staff. And sometimes that can, that can really set the tone for how successful you'll be. Uh, and it can lead to misfires in recruiting, which is, can also happen, you know, like the stalling stuff you could kind of see cause it felt weird. Uh, but sometimes you can't see it, but that stuff can add up and, and go sideways fast. Hiring a coach is not always so simple. It, it, the, the wins and losses are zero sum. Someone's got to win. Someone's got to lose. And there is just, it is inevitable with the odds that there will be some coaches that seem like good. High, they're just not going to work out. And there are so many different factors uh, that lead to that. There is no common thing. Cause if there was, then this, I suppose might not happen as much as we, as we see it happen at the high major level there. But I think it's really important. And ADs are starting to recognize this more and more too, that you are getting the guy that is taking the job for the absolute right reasons and has the right motivations and really wants it. Uh, and it's not just going to make a leap because Hey man, I finally got my chance. Sometimes that works. Sometimes that doesn't, but we talk about it every year. You know, these guys get hired to new spots and it's hard to say when they get hired to say, you know what? I don't think it's going to work. This guy might not last four years. You get that occasionally. Uh, and sometimes it gets talked about right when a coach gets hired sometimes. And sometimes that's right. And sometimes it's not. But I, every year I do a, a grading because I don't, I don't like to grade the coaches when they're hired. The, the process of grading uh, implies that there has actually been work submitted. And so the fa- that you would grade a coach when he hasn't literally run a practice yet. I just don't like that. So I wait four years, which used to be a full recruiting cycle. That's out the window. But I give them four years, see what you've done in four years, and then I grade the hire. So every mid-April, I go back. So this year, I will grade all of the high major and notable hires from 2019 and assess. And each year without fail, there's one name on that list that I, that I think, man, better than I thought. And there's at least one name on the list where I think, whoa, didn't think it would go this bad. What's next? 
Noah, Pen- Noah from Pennsylvania writes, what's your take on Penn State's chances to make the tournament with an All-American candidate in Jalen Pickett, but almost no post presence to hold up against the Edies and Dickinsons of the world? Uh, I'll be quick on this. Uh, we took this question before the loss at Nebraska on sun- Sunday, so it's not as good. Uh, if anything, uh, Penn State might even need to make the NCAAs for Pickett to be a second or third team All-American. We'll see. Uh, I don't think the team's in the field right now, and it could drop to near 60 in the net when that ranking refreshes early Monday morning. Penn State's 14-9. and By the way, dead last in the country in offensive rebound percentage. Not something you want to be... You don't want that associated with your team. Uh, Penn State's only won three times since New Year's Day. It's 2-7 and seven in quad one. Only has one road win. There are no quad three, quad four losses, which is good. And it's played a tough schedule. I get all that. Uh, so there's plenty of time to make up for it. But you're just hoping if you're a Penn State fan to, to crack into the tournament. There's still a chance. They got opportunities. We'll see. But, uh, but the slope is, is a little bit steeper than it was 48 hours ago. All right. And we have Dana and Brian. You were right. There was another couple that chose. We, we like these couples. We like, again... Mutual on college basketball listening. Look, we're we're all here for it, and clearly they're a them. They're not not. No, I'm sorry, they're not a them. They're an us. They're one of us. Okay, there we go. Okay, all right. Random Wednesday night thoughts from Dana. She's a Jayhawk, and Brian, he's a Sun Devil. In any given year, does the strength of the conference correlate to how a conference performs in the tournament? On Wednesday's podcast, y'all talked about how the Big 12 has ranked so well as a conference since 2013. I know that they've won the last two championships, but overall, are there trends or data that predict how well all the teams in the conference will do based on being the best conference? Thanks for being my favorite podcast. Hmm. You know what? We're getting near the end here. I'm going to drop a little bumper right now. little music. No GP to shout me down on this. That's right. Um, that sound good to you, Nada? Right there, good level? It's a decent level, yeah. We, we, we'll make it work. Okay. Um, this is kind of similar to the Big Ten question from before. Does not correlate. Better chances the more teams you'll have. But I go back to the year 2011. Big East. Trivia time to the listeners. Pause the podcast after I ask this. Think about it. Don't cheat. Some of you are going to know it right away. How many teams did the Big East end of the tournament in 2011? Pause it. We're back. That was the year that the Big East set a record. 11 in 2011. And do you know how the Big East did that season? I'll tell you. Pitt was a one seed. It won one game. Notre Dame was a two seed. It won one game. Syracuse was a three seed. It won one game. Louisville was a four seed. It didn't win a game. I know I was there in Denver, my first tournament for CBS. St. John's was a six seed. Didn't win a game. I know I was there in Denver. West Virginia, a five seed, won one game. Cincinnati, a six, won one game. Georgetown, a six, didn't win a game. Marquette, when Buzz Williams was there as an 11, it got to the Sweet 16. It won two games. Villanova, a nine seed, did not win a game. And UConn, yes, was a three seed. Had that huge run. Kemba, MSG, Big East champs, got it all the way up to the three line, won the whole damn thing. But as you can see from the rest of it, you can have a really, really good league, and it won't correlate with performance in the tournament. Random results generator, and that's why we love it. Next question. Oh, wait, we're done. So you have this one last one for you. You have to read this one. Can you bring up the photo? Are you able to bring up the photo? Oh, the photos, photos ready, locked and loaded, my friend. Okay. Steve from Virginia writes, I recently moved from central Illinois. Shouts to the Illinois State Redbirds to Newport News, Virginia. Turns out Norlander lied about living in Connecticut. And he actually lives... In my neighborhood in Newport News, as evidenced by the attached photo. How about this? Now, if you're not watching on YouTube, first of all, if you could just subscribe just for fun, we'd appreciate you all the more. Virginia Plate, Gusters. I got to send this to the band. And then Gusters for Lovers bumper sticker. Tremendous stuff right here. Great find. 
great, great, great find. I'm actually rocking, rocking the Guster shirt on this episode as well. I dig that. I dig that a lot. Um, Steve writes, I love the pod, guys. I've listened to every episode for eight to 10 years now. When I started listening, Norlander was the host, and GP used to make fun of him for referencing Ken Palm along with Goodman, how far we have come. That is correct, and I have brought this up a couple of times over the years to Parrish. I vividly remember sitting in my old apartment in Stamford, Connecticut, one bedroom, me and my now wife, then fiance, and Paris just trying to bury me for referencing Ken Palm. Now, I'm more than happy to get through an episode without referencing it, and our guy can't go a segment or three minutes without referencing Ken Palm. What goes around comes around, GP. I love you. You finally saw the way. I introduced you to Torvik, and you can't stop sorting teams since December 18th on that thing. Wins above bubble sort. That's your next That's your next deal, GP. But yes, that is correct. There was a time long ago GP detested Kempom. Thought it was a joke. But Where we are now. Turned. Tables have turned. Uh, Steve also writes, speaking of Illinois State, uh, your piece on Tory Ward several years ago after the plane crash meant a lot to us living in that community. Steve, I appreciate that. Um, that was a tragic story, an extremely difficult one to report and write and uh, still stays with me to this day. So thank you very much for uh, everything in that in that email. Uh, appreciate it. And I owe uh, I owe your coach, Ryan Peden at Illinois State, a call. So I'll try and make that happen this week. And I think that's I think that's your mailbag mailbag pod. We're just hitting up the 50 minute mark. I was hoping 40 minutes. You know how this pod goes. But Nada, you've been you've been a joy. I should have gone to the music like 10 minutes earlier. So we should have done music through, throughout this whole thing because Parrish would have been here to yell at us. I know that's that's all right. We get it. We get it near the end. So be it. A reminder: shouts to CBS at gmail.com. Email whenever you want. You got a vid- If you're gonna do a video one, either have it be evergreen or don't send it again until like the end of February. Because if you send something timely right now, we're not doing another mailbag pod for the rest of the month. That's all I'm saying. So just keep that in mind. Um, or maybe we we work it into some of our social stuff and all that uh, all that good stuff. I think that that covers all of it. Anything else you want to tell the listeners, Nana? Um, I will add to that. Please don't send video. I would probably tell them we we may have a giant blowout the budget like mailbag two parter at at the conclusion of the tournament. That might be the earliest we are able to do this. However, I appreciate everyone that sends the emails. Uh, y'all make me laugh regularly with these emails. Y'all are hilarious. And thank you for all the Dodo Bird emails, by the way. Thank you for all of those, especially in the last couple of weeks, because the Lord knows y'all have all sent the same article about 15, 20 times. I appreciate all of them. No, it's wonderful. Uh, thank you to everyone. And I hope you enjoyed a little bonus mailbag pod. Uh, here on a Monday. GP will be back in the swing with yours truly on Wednesday morning. And we got we on the Sunday episode, we ran down all those games. We got a lot of good stuff coming on Tuesday. There will be no shortage of stuff to uh, to talk about. If you're not, by the way, if you're not following the pod on Twitter, please do so. It is at IonCBB podcast on Twitter. Not it does the majority of, uh, of stuff on that, but uh, GP gets in there and, and I do occasionally as well. And thank you again. This was, uh, we just hope you enjoyed it and we will talk to you on Wednesday. Bye bye. Sometimes it takes a killer to catch a killer. These killings are all about vengeance. The new season of the hit Paramount Plus original series Criminal Minds Evolution is now streaming. Buried secrets come to light in the new season as the criminal profilers join forces with an unlikely ally. I have a plan. We will not rely on help from a serial killer. Oh, you most certainly will. Stream the new season of Criminal Minds Evolution exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free.